0: Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Murgi, and welcome to another episode of Not That Kind of Rabbi. I should stay off the to- I should stay. I should say off the top that um, I am now on Patreon, so you can help support this podcast if you listen regularly or even if this is your first time. We have all kinds of tiers that you can donate to the podcast on. It's at patreon P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, Patreon.com. Slash, NTKR for not that kind of rabbi. NTKR. So Patreon.com at NTKR. If you're so inclined, please consider donating. You can donate seven dollars, eighteen dollars. We have different tiers. Uh, there's a big super tier where you can actually. I'm also a um, ordained spiritual director, and I do spiritual counseling with people. Uh, And if you're interested uh, at a higher donation, you'll get one session a month just for that. So there's all kinds of incentives to help us and support me in doing this podcast. This is a hard time to do the podcast right now, because uh, yet again, uh, there is uh, violence and death, anger and recrimination in Israel and Palestine. And I was listening to Dennis Ross today, who was a Middle East peace negotiator for the United States with their own vested interest in the conversation. And he said, nothing will change. This will happen, it will pass, and none of the facts on the ground are going to change. So the futility of that was heartbreaking to have to accept and understand. But there's a lot of feelings that I go through whenever these things happen as a Jewish person. Uh, not one who lives in Israel, but one who is often defined by what happens in Israel. I'm of the first generation of people who actually have to live with the consequences of having a nation state. Israel is a very young place. It's only a few years older than I am. So it's been a a life of that, that for 2000 years, Jewish people didn't have. Um, They were always diasporic and there was something mythical and fabulous and wonderful about next year in Jerusalem. And now, as Quinn Dyer said, maybe 30 years ago, in an excellent 10-part series he did for the CBC called War, he at one point was in the Golan Heights in in, uh, Israel, what actually used to be part of Syria. um, And he said, the thing about getting a country of your own is you have to be willing to kill for it. And that really struck me as that, you know, rubber hits the road part of a conversation about what nationalism and statehood can be. Um, Once you decide some place is, is, is worth dying for. I often think about this in a Jewish context about what's called the Kotel, the, uh, the wailing wall, the Western wall. Are we worshiping a wall? We're worshiping at a wall, but are we worshiping a wall? Is there idolatry involved in that whole process that no, this is ours. I mean, if you drill a hole in Jerusalem down, for 150 feet you will see civilization after civilization that have claimed that city for itself and none of them lasted so the impermanence of this is not lost on me certainly uh, but i also go through a lot of feelings when these things happen a lot of feelings of tribalism a lot of feelings of shame a lot of things that i find it's very difficult to talk to other people uh in the jewish context in canada because we're just supposed to go and be supportive you know, Take a walk for israel well i don't know is that really the right thing to do or do we walk with palestinians and and others uh, together and say this is not the way we're going to solve anything so i was looking through things on facebook a little while ago a few days ago really uh and an old friend of mine someone who uh, i started off with when i was for a period a small period of time a stand-up comedian Um, He was very good at it. I was not that good at it. So I ended up hosting and then eventually moving on to other things. Um, But he's someone who occasionally writes something serious in the Facebook post. And it's so articulate and so wonderful. And I'm so relieved to see his and hear his voice that I really, basically, as we say, I hucked him into doing this. He was like, well, I don't know, you know, without being funny, do, do I do this? Do I talk about this? um but a lot of what he said is things that i think we should think about and listen to uh and he is my guest right now and his name is simon rakoff hello simon how are you sir
1: uh like everybody i you know it's it was a bad year and uh now it's an even worse week so yeah, that's true as i said it could have been a good month when i saw the news but what
0: what uh what goes through you when you see things like this in, 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 in the Israel and Palestine conflict? What goes through you?
1: Well, despair, like I think many you know, people on any side of this. I don't think anybody excepting perhaps the person who's actually sending the rockets or you know wishing harm on somebody specific doesn't feel anything but despair. I can't imagine another feeling coming out of this. There's no, there's no winning. There's no righteousness. It's just sad. It's an ancient conflict that seems to renew constantly. I mean, even before there was an Israel, you know, there was always, there was always constant conflict there. It was never a peaceful place. I mean, it's it's the irony of it. You know, Yerushalayim is, Right. It's uh, it's city of peace. It translates to City of Peace. It's it's the most ironic Orwellian name I've ever heard in my life. It's it's so horrifying
0: to think about. It.
1: You know, there's there's a there's a song we sing,
0: uh uh.
1: uh no, right. oh, ba'a.
0: Ba'a. sorry, yes.
1: Right, uh, you know, and it's all about how next year we'll be eating grapes with our children on the doorsteps of, and, you know, they've been singing this song for a century now about next year is going to be great. It's never going to be great. Um, But I don't even want to talk about what's really what's going on there, because what's going on there is completely intractable. What, what my, what my piece that you read was actually about was the responses that I get. And, the, and what I called it, in fact, was the certainty of the extreme. You know, I sit here lost when I look at what's going on in Israel. I, I sit here saying, so what is a possible solution? Now, obviously, idyllic, the solution is two neighbors living side by side or even together without killing each other or wanting to kill each other. Obviously, that's the, that's the goal, but it's a bit like, did you ever see, um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to bring up a very silly reference, but it sort of applies. The underpants gnomes on South Park? No. Okay. The underpants gnomes have, they steal underpants, and they have a three-step plan, and it's step one, steal underpants, step three, make a lot of money. <laughs> but step two is a question mark <laughs> this is how it feels a bit you know it's right. it's underpants gnomes it's we're going to shoot at each other and try to kill each other and 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 constantly battle and oppress one another and terrorize one another and then step three is our own peaceful existence but step two is a question mark they don't there's no there's no bridge that I can see, um, to you know actually a life that is livable, there I, again unless something major shifts in all the cultures involved,
0: in all the people involved.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. The the the, 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 the attitudes and the culture and the now, based on that though, my point really is I believe again, I believe is less meaningful than anything. I am a person who reads and looks, but I know nothing. I have no deeper knowledge than what I'm told. You know, I have, I have people in Israel, family and friends, but again, they're in as much despair as I am over here. They're running to their shelters. They're, they're completely upset about it. Many of them do not support uh, the government as it's behaving currently. But the point is what I'm reading here is from people who are not there. They are not in the conflict and their certainty about what they know about who's right and the side that they take and are so sure when I posted my piece, which is essentially saying only the moderation and de-escalation can work I was accused by people on both sides of that conflict of being on the other side. You know, I said, let's all get along. Let's, 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 you know, cool down the rhetoric. And the response to that is, Oh, so you're with them. Right. You know, there's no, (laughs) there's no middle ground with an extremist.
0: Did you, did you, um, were you conflicted about even posting that?
1: Totally. And I only did it because I couldn't stand reading what I was reading from everybody. you know people people are saying this is not a simple simple problem that you know that there's an obvious answer or an obvious bad guy and and just saying that is gonna get me in trouble. I mean the reason I didn't want to come on here is because I'm actually afraid of people attacking me just because I'm willing to say I think that there's you know. There's, there's a position that isn't these guys are them and these guys are them. And this is the problem with all of these kinds of conflicts is that the extreme are loud. In fact, I would suggest hold on, hold on. You're, you're, hold on. Hold on. Are the hold majority on. In Hold Palestine
0: on. And in Palestine. Simon, you're... Your connection yes. is, is is stuttering.
1: Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Is it back?
0: It's back, but I've, this, this is the second time there's been this sort of stutter. Is your connection...
1: Connecting to a faster network, we'll see if that helps.
0: That should help.
1: Okay, sorry about that. I'm going to go back then. Yeah. Okay. My concern is that the people who are talking about this, the loudest, in my opinion, are not the majority. I think that most people in in the conflict itself would rather be living their lives peacefully more than they would like to wipe out the other side or subjugate the other side. That's my personal belief. I don't know if it means anything or if I'm right. But I think that what happens is in most conflicts, the extremists are loud. They take over the narrative and the people who don't want to fight are quiet because like myself, they're terrified of being drawn into it. Right. I didn't want to say this. I didn't want to be on your show to talk about this because I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I didn't want to post what I posted because I was afraid about being attacked which of course I was, I had somebody say, well, you're both sides a genocide. That was the first comment I got right. on my post about, you know, and, and, and the fact is that person doesn't know anything more than I know, you know, they're reading the exact same things I'm reading. They've just decided to take a position. And I then got other people from from the other side of extremism saying, you know, it's our birthright and we're entitled to that place and blah, 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 and we should take it all. And if they don't like it too bad, you know, and I'm just like, this is not an answer. It's easy to just shout the problem, but it doesn't bring any closer. And in fact, it brings us further from any resolution. The more there's anger and, and volcanic eruptions, the less likely it is that the, that the fighting is gonna stop, that the buildings are gonna not be firebombed and that the rockets are gonna stop flying. It's not gonna happen when people are determined that their side is important. The other side is that people are not monolithic. You know, It's like when we look at America, let's, let's take America as an example. Right. And people were like, oh, my God, America's so stupid and right wing and this. And that. That's only half of them. There's a whole half that feels exactly the opposite way. But people tend to put, you know, one face on another on the other. We're all different, but you're all the same is a very common thought process that happens. The notion that all Palestinians want to wipe Israel off the map is ridiculous to me the notion that all israelis are unwilling to compromise for peace is equally ridiculous that's not how it is but extremists have to paint the other side as the evil because that's the only way that their argument makes any sense
0: so when you when you think about your own when you think about your own uh life as a jewish person what is this doing to you in terms of your Jewish identity?
1: Well, it's horrible because to me, <laughs> again, Judaism has always been about, I'm not a religious person at all, but I am very Jewish in my historical and the sort of moral lessons of the, of the culture. You know, to me, the most essential thing about Judaism has always been tikkun olam.
0: Healing the world, yes,
1: you know, and that to me has always been sort of the most defining characteristic of our culture. You know, the Jews invent medicines and technologies and then give them to the world to make things better. This is, this is, this is how I look at us. Right. And Israel again is brand new, you know, Jews in their own homeland. It was thousands of years ago. And then it was what, 70 years ago, 75 years ago, whatever it was, 48, I'm not gonna do the math. But we are, we are the dispersed people who have been to every place in the world and learned from every culture in the world and contributed to every culture in the world. This is who we really are. The idea of us as a nation state is new and frankly, Strangely counter to our actual history, which is strangers living amongst others, but still being ourselves—you know, the outsider within.
0: You know, it's interesting. I did a documentary series, "My Israel," which actually I think is on Prime, uh, Amazon Prime TV right now. Um,
1: I'm in the middle of something.
0: Y- yeah. So. Otherwise, I'd check it out. Okay. So no, no, it, it, you. Whenever. But the point is, uh, I was talking to people uh, in that c- scenario, and you could, you air it now, and it's it's still the same. The conversation is still the same. And, and I really worry about uh, how we ever get out of this. As long as people want victory and not peace. If they want peace, they're not going to get victory. And that's, I think, really hard for people to accept. Um, but one of the that's people funny. I...
1: What is the, sorry, but what is the end game is what I always wonder in these kinds of situations.
0: Well, you know, it's no different than interpersonal relationships. What is the end game when people get divorced? Is it to get to win or is it to coexist, get along and move on? Uh, And people personally have enough trouble trying to to navigate those things. And one of the things is fear and, and fear of scarcity as well. And in that kind of a scenario where you're afraid that you're going to have less, lose out, um, you make decisions that you wouldn't make if you felt generous, if you felt open. When you talked about tikkun olam, that's a very out, forward-looking, generous view of what the purpose is in the world. If it's about survival, especially in, in light of intergenerational traumas on all sides, then it triggers this idea of us or them. And uh, it... we have to survive. And if they don't, that's not our problem. It's us having to survive and everybody can be infected all over the world with that virus. But there was one guy who was um, uh, an American who had moved to Israel and was uh, in the occupied territories as a settler and had his little radio show. This was before podcasts had his little radio show and he had, we had, uh, we taped something where I was on with him. Uh, And he said, well, why don't you move to Israel? I mean, if you're really a a righteous Jew, you should move to Israel. Uh, He'd moved from Michigan. And he said, you know, anybody who stayed behind in Michigan, they're not not really being Jewish. They should be here if they're Jewish. And I said, well, actually, I don't see it that way. I'm diasporic. Uh, We were Moroccans. Now we're Canadians. And we're Jews that move throughout the world. And there's a wonderful gift, which you just articulated, which triggered this idea in me, that we learn from other cultures and we contribute to other cultures and it makes us a more uh, vibrant and um, interesting people who have survived against all odds. But now we find ourselves being defined by a place that's permanent, so-called permanent. This is the homeland and you're supposed to contribute in some way or in some other ways more difficult. You're not to criticize that homeland. It's not loyal. It's not right. So that's. Really- I had a
1: phone call like that yesterday when I was speaking to somebody we both know about being on this, and they were saying to me, "You've got to make sure you defend Israel. You can't be it wishy-washy about it. You know, there's too many people out there attacking us, and this is about survival." And I said, "But again, this is not the way forward. This is all. It's all backward looking. It's all." Hatfields and McCoys, you know, there's nobody there who hasn't lost somebody. And if it's all, I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet, right? This is what comes of your feuding is your children are dead. Well, if you're willing to say enough, I don't want my children dead. That's the only solution. I mean, this is what happened in Ireland, essentially, is the women marched together and said, we don't want our sons and brothers and husbands killed anymore. And on either side, or the fictional example, uh, Lysistrata, right? You know, the women withheld sex from the men until they stopped fighting. Um, yeah. You know, it takes, it, as, I, as Golda Meir said, they have to love their children more than they hate us. And that's true on both sides.
0: Right. So where does, so your life has been to take things and make them funny. This, uh, I'm trying to think of where where a good joke is, and I can't right now. So where does this leave someone who synthesizes and takes wisdom and takes life and turns it into funny? Where does it leave a person like you in terms of voice and going on a stage and really wanting to connect with people?
1: Well, I would avoid this topic like the plague. I mean, basically, I can't think of a I can't think of a way to express this in any way right now, certainly in the heat of battle, right, where it's where there's anything funny about it, because it's just a a horror and a tragedy. And I'm not going to you I'm not going to waste my audience's time. I'm happy to waste your audience's time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna waste my audience
0: with
1: my serious thoughts about life. Yes, but you we know, know comics, take-
0: we know comics who I remember watching Mort Saul when he came to Yucks. Uh, and mm-hmm. here he is in the Yuck Yuck stage and the legendary Mort Saul, and he comes out with his newspaper as he used to do. Um and he just starts talking and he's dead serious. I mean, dead serious. There's nothing funny going on up there. And about three minutes pass. And then he goes into an old, good old fashioned joke. And the audience laughs their ass off and is so relieved that he just gave him something to, to hang their hat on knowing, don't worry, I'll do this every once in a while, but I'm actually here as a truth teller. And, you know, being a stand-up is being the jester is speaking truth to power. So, is there a, a route, a route, in which you, as a, as a comedian, as a polished and in, an intelligent comedian, that has an ability to say something, even about things like this, that make us think, but make us laugh? Well, I think the key is to is to make the people not look out at the
1: situation, but look into their part of the situation. That that's the way you get somebody to laugh is to essentially acknowledge their own shortcomings i mean the way i look at the people who respond who are who are yelling on facebook about this issue is it's like passing two people fighting and instead of trying to break it up, everybody's standing around going, kick his ass, kick it, yeah, kick his ass. And it's like, how are you helping this situation at all? And yet, at the same time as yelling, kick his ass, kick his ass, they're going, isn't this horrible? Isn't this awful? How can this be going on, this awful thing? Kick his ass! Live like this, people, please, people. How can we, yeah, yeah, in the teeth. I mean, this is what we're, this is essentially what people are doing with their facebook comments is they're pretending like they're horrified but really they're kind of you know it's like the nascar fans who only go to see somebody die (laughs) they pretend they're at a race but they're not they're at a human sacrifice
0: you see you just did it
1: there you go thank you ralph
0: no but i mean this is the thing is I read, and this isn't the only thing I've read of yours over the years. I read the things you write. I, 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 our dear friend Steve Schuster, when he passed, the things you wrote brought tears to my eyes. You have that soulful, heartfelt wisdom that you, that you put out there in such an articulate way. And I keep wondering how do we find a way to, like, the kick is ass bit? It works. <laughs> because it is about us it is about our own shortcomings instead of pointing fingers and i wonder where is that in stand-up these days where is the passion and the politic and and the and the courage to be able to speak truth to power as opposed to entertaining and amusing people and making sure you get asked back
1: well i think it's important that you do entertain and amuse. that i entertain and amuse right I, you know, I grew, up, I grew up in a family of real academics, people who really knew things. My father was uh, an eminent doctor and professor. So when he spoke, he was speaking about something that he actually had more expertise than the listener did. When I speak, I don't know anything. I know what I think and feel but I don't have any more studious knowledge of these topics than the people who are in the audience. So as far as I'm concerned, if I'm using, if I'm taking their ear, I better make it amusing because my insights are just my own feeling and, and opinion.
0: Well, on the other hand, your lived experience and the ability to synthesize that into something that you can tell, communicate to other people is your gift. And I, I, you know, I'm very wary of, I don't know enough as, as, as a a rationale. Um, If you use that as a barometer, you could go forever before you knew enough, but we're all human beings and we're all in this together or we're not. And I think that whatever is lived experience coupled with a thoughtfulness is a valid avenue for people to listen to you and, and say, I understand what you're saying. Because well, you're talking about nice, human nature.
1: I'm a tougher audience than that. <laughs> I either want the person I'm listening to to actually have some, you know, knowledge about the thing I'm hearing, or they better make it entertaining for me. That's my. That's when I listen to something. You know, there's nothing more painful for me than a speech at a at a at a wedding or a bar mitzvah <laughs> or something, where the person is boring, not funny and saying nothing that is at all something I didn't know already. That, right. that to me is like being punished. And I feel that way about generally, if I give somebody my ear, I wanna hear something that I haven't thought of or at least is coming directly from them in an amusing way. So I'm not what? interested in, in just, you know, well, I think this guy, blah, blah, blah. Well, whatever, you're entitled.
0: So <laughs> when you wrote the Facebook post, you weren't thinking. I better make sure there's some good jokes in here. I mean, you've done that for a living, where you've taken somebody's stuff and thought, oh, insert joke here. Uh, sure. You you did not insert joke here. You 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 took your chance, even though you you knew there'd be some people who would uh, you know be hateful towards you.
1: But I also purposely made it just for my friends to see. It wasn't a public post. Right. People said make this shareable, and I said I'd rather not. You know, if you want to copy and paste it, go ahead. But I'm not putting it out to the world until now, until talking to you. Uh, these are things I say to people I personally know. That's the difference. Right. I'm talking about when somebody's publicly speaking to me. I don't mean like, you know, in conversation, of course, say what you want to each other. Be sincere, be real, talk about what you think and feel. But I'm talking about when you when you express your opinion, you know, to the world, Uh, it's different to me.
0: So what what are some of the things you said in there that you you feel are important for, for people to hear?
1: Well, the main thing is that choosing a side in a conflict that, first of all, you're not personally involved in, even though as Jews, we always feel a connection to it. And my Palestinian friends also feel a personal connection to it. But we aren't actually under the gun. You know, I mean, I mean, as much as it may hurt to read about, we're not running to the shelters when the sirens sound. We're not running from the rubble falling from the buildings that are being strafed by the Air Force. We're not. So our opinion is just that. And it's very easy to yell from the safety of our position. And it's very easy to make a monolith out of the side you disagree with. And it's very easy to, vict- to see, you know, people as victims without agency in their own fate on both sides and what we should be doing is remembering the example of our own incredible and unusual lives i mean i live in toronto okay the entire world lives in toronto my 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 analogy for toronto was it's like a it's like pangea it's like the all the continents came back together and squished together in one little space. And here we have the entire world living next to each other. I mean, you know, Pakistanis and Indians and Irish and English and and Turks and Greeks and every global conflict that happens, those people escaped to come here. And the main rule here is you don't have to like them, but you have to accept that they live here too And we all line up for things and take our turn for things and get along. And as a result, we enjoy the entire world in one city. I mean, I can go, not now, but when it was open, I could go and get a meal from everywhere in the world and see every single culture represented here living in peace. Now, I know that's a dream, but it exists. The fact that we live this way here proves it's possible. And then when you see that there are actually fights happening in Toronto this week and people being beaten up based on a conflict that's going on in the Middle East, that makes me say, we don't do that here. This is not our way. We are the peaceful people. We have learned to get along with each other no matter where we're from and no matter what past there is, there's a reason you came here. If you want to fight it, fight it where it's being fought. You don't fight it here. So my friends on Facebook who are yelling and screaming about the injustices in the world on both sides here are actually not serving any purpose other than to inflame everything. And they're inflaming something that doesn't actually hurt them personally. As 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 unjust as they may feel it, they are not helping anybody by making it worse.
0: So, where where does it go from here? I said at the beginning, Dennis Ross, who used to try to find peaceful solutions, just said, "This will pass, and everything on the ground, the status quo will remain. The intractable differences will will, will still be there. Um, the the hatred." that is in some people and the fear that is in many other people will all be there. Like, what what good comes of this? Like, is there something that we should be able to glean, something that's worth thinking about or perpetuating?
1: Well, for us, I think, I would hope that what I said would happen, which is that people understand that they don't really understand the conflict as well as they perhaps think they do. And that you can go back in history and, and, and come up with, you know, scenarios and arguments for why either side is entitled to the, the land of Israel. I mean, that's, and frankly, history has shown us, nobody's entitled to anything. I mean, the world is a horrible, horrible history of conquerors and the conquered and people usurping their authority. And, you know, I mean, I mean, we celebrate Canada Day. That was a point I made. Yeah. We celebrate Canada Day with fireworks and parades and our flags waving. We don't sit around thinking, oh my God, how awful this must be for the people who were here before the whites settled, <laughs> you know, our First Nations people, that they have to watch this celebration of us, you know, basically living in their land and them getting whatever scraps we deemed it good enough to give them. And they're still under tremendous burden here. I mean, yes. And yet there are people on, on, you know, on, on another side who say, well, you know, we've been good to them and they, they should be lucky to live in Canada. Whereas, you know, I don't know if that's the case, frankly, but again, I don't know enough to say this is right. And this is wrong. But if you're in the middle of the conflict, right, I can see why celebrating Jerusalem Day would be angering to the people who are still there and feeling like they're under the boot.
0: Yeah, you know, but you wonder, uh, I totally hear you. Um, So there's this other piece of when does one have the moral authority to speak if you can always what about someone? Well, what about what you're doing? What about what you've done to indigenous people? What about this? Um, do we, if there's always something like that in our heart that we are ignoring ourselves, does that mean we should just be quiet about it, all the injustice in the world? Or does it mean we just keep informing our uh, desire for justice with the acknowledgement that we have? our our own uh, crosses to bear, as it were, literally. Well,
1: I mean, I think of that Jesus quote about, you know, take the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brothers. Right. Um, I'm just saying I don't have any moral authority to speak on anything, but at least I'm sort of aware of that. I mean, if you want to really be a moral person, you don't get to live the way we live. You know, Gandhi walked around in a bed sheet. You know why I have a nice shirt? Because somewhere in the third world, somebody is working for pennies a week to make my nice shirt so I can afford it.
0: I mean, I'm Okay, so, but here's the thing there. uh, And I've done a lot of work in the environmental movement and communications. And um, so mobile oil will will have told people uh, that uh, it's personal responsibility that you have to change. Uh, You're the one who's consuming our our products and demanding them and and creating emissions. But I've always been of the belief that you change the playing field, not the player. I have to work within the system in which I am. doesn't mean I try to exploit it thoughtlessly. It means I'm conscious of the things that are happening that have ramifications. And I personally try to do my best, but I'm not the problem. The problem is systemic. The problem is, is, is an economic system that sees people in a certain way. The problem is, you know, and, and so on and so on. So that really, if we want change, yes, of course, be the change, as they say. But on the other hand, you also need to be able to say, no, no, we demand that the powers that, that are really manipulating the, the situation, they must change. So if you have, you know, some people would say that in the Israeli conflict, the governance model is so broken that you really will never get change on that side. And then on the other side, the Hamas model is so broken. The Fatah model is so broken that the leadership and the governance are so in disrepair in so many different ways in the United States if you don't have literally a billion dollars you can't run for president. So change the playing field, make it so that these things are not the norm and then a change will happen.
1: But all of those historically, all of those kinds of changes, have come from within it's always the, the people at underneath those systems that make the change you know the french revolution the 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 russian revolution the, you know it's not it's not an outside angry world that makes the change for those people it just right it, it doesn't happen that but way. don't
0: point at each other and say you know you have no moral right to speak you have you know you're the problem you're wearing that, that, that t-shirt is the, the
1: the 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 don't be so sure about your position as an extremist on one or the other side of a conflict as complex as the one we're talking about we're not talking about you know it's interesting that that the same people who are who are discussing what's happening in Gaza as genocide? I don't see one post about, you know, the Wagers that are being literally destroyed,
0: yeah, the or, the, or, the,
1: or the or the Yemen crisis, yeah. which truly there's no negotiation attempt. There's no there's no let's try and get along. These are actual genocides. Genocides, and I don't see anything about them. You know, people people are people are. Subject to what they hear and read in the news, even though they think that they're, I don't want to say woke, but I mean, you know, even though people think that they're aware of what's going on in the world, we only know what we're told. We're not there.
0: And yeah, you know, in the the work I do as a spiritual director, the, the idea of the universality of our existence, the spark that we all have that connects us in a, in a way. I, 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 believe we are souls. I don't believe that we're just you know, matter and we rot. Uh, there's something animating what we're doing and wh- why we're being this way. But I do believe that what, what happens often is that we, we, I, I just wrote a blog for this uh, podcast and in it, it was the Mike Tyson thing. You know, everybody's got a strategy until they get punched in the mouth uh, we all can decide we want to be spiritual beings and be in an ecosystem of, of network and care the way you described the Toronto idea there right and, and it can be beautiful but once given disadvantage or a fear of scarcity we devolve quite quickly into our reptilian brains and just decide that it's us or them and oh,
1: absolutely even Toronto I mean yeah. I feel that way about it until I'm in traffic then i hate everybody <laughs> but it's not based on race or religion ralph
0: They're yes but it can is- be in a parking lot when the person is of another ethnicity and somebody blurts out something racist or homophobic or whatever they want because underneath these things is this tribal impulse to clan uh, and clan it, it, you know was based on a lot of violence i mean the muslim religion was born in a time of social chaos and total danger and fear and you know, the prophet Muhammad was like, okay, first, we've got to stop killing each other here. There's got to be some rules that we live by or else we're not going to make it. And, you know, whatever people say about religions, they're codified attempts at moral behavior. And religion has let us down. Yes, but so has everything else. The capitalist system has let us down. So really, it's about the personal ability to to remember that we are in an ecosystem of care, that we are in a network of life, a web of life. And that, frankly, I talk to people all the time about cultivating the stillness in themselves, the meditative contemplative practice, to be able to know that being present in this moment is what matters. That You know, you can see life as a horizontal line and you're on it and you're closer to the end of that line than the beginning in our case. Or you can have a vertical that cuts through it and says, this is the only moment. This is the only moment that's real. You're remembering In some hazy way and the future hasn't happened but if we can get people to find their spiritual centers and not lose them every time there's a crisis then perhaps that's the change you were talking about that ability to be the change itself
1: i i'm not as deep as that but yes that sort of sounds right um but again i mean it's
0: Kick his ass. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. When I but when I talk like this seriously about how I feel about things,
0: yeah, I feel
1: so unqualified as I started by saying to, to to tell anybody else how to live. And again, the only thing that I come away with when I read all these comments is, but who are you to tell me or anybody else? You know. I'm aware at least that I have no moral authority to speak on this issue you know where it's clearly been going on for thousands of years and everybody involved is is being tormented by it and it's and it's intractable and yet when I read these as I say the certainty of the extreme really upsets me more than almost anything else.
0: I know, but the no- look, we, we don't all need uh, a bibliography and uh, uh, footnotes and a table of contents to have an, uh, have an opinion that is informed by something uh, profound. We can still have voice. I don't, I don't accept your idea that who am I to talk? I don't know enough. Things you've said today have something in them. That There is an impact. You have spent your life articulating truths, because as you know better than anyone, if it ain't true, it ain't funny. And in the pursuit of knowing, no, wait a minute, I'm making that up, as opposed to wait a minute, this is a sincere truth reality of, uh, of things. You know the difference, in, and you know I've lived this in the same world you have, where there's the real laugh, the one that they couldn't think or, or wonder about or filter through, they're just laughing. They're just from their gut laughing, it's like when Sam Kinison used to go on stage and he talk about marriage and he talk about the guy you know with a nail clipper clipping grass and go, I hate my life. People were laughing their ass off because there was an element of truth to it. Sure. So, so if you spent your life being a truth teller, you have to know that there's a certain basis from which you come from, which is about being sincere and authentic. Okay, here,
1: here's while you were saying that, here's what went through my head, which is. I agree with you if there is some solution in mind in what you're saying. What I what I find impossible about this situation is that people are yelling, but there's no actual answer or end game in their, as I said, underpants gnome. You know? Right, right. Kick his as ass. Step three, everybody's happy. But there's <laughs> no step two. That's a question mark. So... If I, if I express my opinion about how this uh, wealth disparity that's going on so badly right now is ridiculous, I have a solution. Yeah, tax them. Make them pay their share so that there is enough money for education and medical things and et cetera that people need. And they can have $1 billion instead of $20 billion. They'll be okay.
0: Right. right? Okay. but I have, have an answer that but makes I've... sense. But on, but, if- the other, but on the other hand, if you use your creativity, which you've cultivated over a lifetime, to engage in problem solving with a group of people, you're as welcome and legitimate in a room of people saying, we're going to do a hackathon, basically, on Middle East peace, because your creativity has meant that you think laterally, you don't just think vertically, Right that the minute you hear something, you're already going sideways to think what are the other pieces that make this a whole? So you take that gift and you apply it and not say, oh, well, except I'm not a Middle East expert. I can't describe the movement of the Hashemite kingdoms to Iraq and Jordan and the fallout from that and the Palestinian reality in, in Jordan right now of 70%, blah, blah, blah. I can do a lot of that, but that doesn't mean I have more right to, ha- to, to say, so as a human being, what are some solutions that might work in terms of conflict and mediation and, and peacefulness, right?
1: the Irish solution to me is the one that makes the most practical sense that, that the peace loving people, you know, that group, I mean, I I posted a picture of those, those Muslim and Jewish women gathered together in, in solidarity against the, the, the violence. Um, that the peace-loving people not be afraid. I mean, part of the reason I agreed to do this is because I said nothing gets better if only the extreme are willing to speak. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm doing this in complete terror, as I said, because I'm just waiting for the for the backlash <laughs> from from my appearance here. Yes, but, and
0: and the anonymity of of the people who are hateful is also just. I mean, I've, I've worked for, for many years with political people who I believe in. And uh, you've got to be able to take your chances because uh, it, it, they, get, they win the other way. They scare you out of talking. They take over the stage. They get the megaphone and they win and reasonable people lose.
1: And, well, that's exactly my point is yeah. they're, they're screaming But the vast majority are just, oh, my God, don't scream. Just shut up.
0: Yeah, but they should. That
1: that the vast majority who are reasonable say enough, enough. That's that's the solution, ultimately, is people of good faith, people who actually believe that it's possible to get along, that it's possible not to kill each other. When you talk about the timeline, and this is the only moment, if they forgot the the unbelievably horrible history of, of wrong on both sides, of, of the injustice of everything that's happened to this point from everybody. I mean, you know, the same people who tell the Jews get over the Holocaust, don't have any problem not getting over what the Israelis have done to the Palestinians. If everything is, you know, Let's say we all died and started as babies right now. What would be the answer? You know, in terms of what you were talking about, there's only the present. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would be the key to, you know, truly a blank slate.
0: Well, the other thing I learned from somebody who is a conflict mediator, uh, he had somebody who he was going to be going on a road trip with him and his wife and this couple, they, this couple had invited, this is before the pandemic, another couple to go with them. And the other couple were Trump supporters in the States. And the guy who was coming from Canada was like, I don't know what I'm going to do because if this conversation goes up, it's not going to be good. And then he said, what am I thinking? I'm a conflict mediation specialist. What would, what would I suggest to a client? And what he said, sug- what he did was he said, what I became is genuinely curious, not, to ensnare them or to trap them or to prove my point. But I really wanted to understand what it is that motivated this person to believe that Trump was a good idea. And he said, that allowed them voice. They weren't fighting through me. They weren't waiting for me to go on the counterattack. They were listening to my story, which in the end became a story about loss, loss of a way of life, loss of status, loss of income. And that this was how it was manifesting itself in a strong, you know, militaristic, authoritarian voice that said, I will save you from all of this, that you are the best thing that ever happened. But he was curious. And I think if we were genuinely curious about the experience of the so-called other, it might get us into a place where together, using the creative forces within us, we could come up with something a little more viable than tit for tat, which is all we get now.
1: Well, I had a very conservative, I have a very conservative friend in Western Canada, big surprise. And he lashed out at me once. He basically, because of a Facebook post about conservatism and blah, 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 I made a joke that was whatever. And he fi- and he finally said, you know, I am so tired of being called a racist and a this and a that, goodbye, fuck you. And cut me off. So I called him and I said, man like i'm not calling you that i'm sure you have completely different reasons for voting the way you vote and thinking the way you think that have nothing to do with being you know a racist or hating the minorities or or this and that i'm sure you think that your view of how the money should be spent is the reasonable one and i know you're a good guy we've been friends for years we've never had a personal problem. Why should this come between us? And he said, you're right. I just get so tired of hearing these things. I'm sorry. He added me back. You know, it's very easy behind a keyboard and a screen to just assume the worst of whatever you're reading and hearing from people. But if you actually engage people personally and as you say, find out what their actual thoughts and motivations are, you might be surprised to find out that they're actually, oh, okay, (laughs) that's not so crazy. And
0: they wanna be heard. I mean, so many people do not feel heard. It's like when you do a Q and A at the end of a, a panel discussion, most people don't ask a question. They make a statement and people get frustrated because the person's making a statement, but really they're making a statement because it's the first time they've had public voice they don't have a platform. Unlike you, they don't get to walk out on a stage or me do things like this. And when they finally feel like they're going to get their say, they really want to have their say. But so many people's lives are lived with this sort of shut up and get along and stay put, you know, show up, shut up and perform. That, that's the kind of work life that we're supposed to live. All right, listen, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I re- I know it wasn't easy for you to decide to do it. And I was hoping that you would because I, I I not only have enjoyed you as a comedian over the years and respect you a great deal for your skill and talent, but every once in a while, you write something that's not funny. And I think that was beautiful. That was like, I read your piece and believe me, I read Middle East stuff like crazy. And I read your piece and I, I turned to my wife and I said, old friend of mine just wrote this thing and it's dead on, it's dead on. This is the best- Balanced conversation that you, a person should have about the situation, even though we're all conflicted. So I, I really want to thank you for doing that. I really appreciate well, it.
1: I, I appreciate it. Um, I hope I'm not, you know, uh, get in big trouble for this, but whatever, I guess you got to risk it so that maybe, maybe the moderate voices get a little courage to speak up and say enough with the hate, because yeah. that's yeah. really the problem, obviously.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, and if people want, They can actually hear me be funny. I made a comedy album. You wouldn't know it from this conversation. (laughs) That's how I make my living. Uh, It's called Surrounded by Idiots. You can get it on Apple Music or Amazon Music. Just download it. And uh, If they Google
0: Simon Rakoff, is it on your own website too?
1: Yes, the links are on my website, simonrakoff.com.
0: Rakoff is R-A-K-O-F-F. Yes. So Rackoff.com or they can, and what's the name of the album again?
1: Surrounded by idiots.
0: Very nice. Very nice way. Nice speak. That's the way you speak for people. No, it's really, <laughs> exactly. from this to that, kick his ass. Um, Simon Rackoff has been my guest on not that kind of rabbi. Uh, You will also when we get out of this pandemic, be able to see Simon and performance around the country. And uh, he's on the debaters every once in a while as well.
1: Right. Yes. CBC radio.
0: Yeah. And uh, is a a wonderful comedian. I've seen uh, Simon do stand up from literally the first time he ever hit the stage at Yuck Yucks. So we go back to the beginnings. And once you're in this fraternity or sorority or whatever, I'm doing one of these with Katie Ford, by the way, in a little while. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So um, we're, we're all part of a, a group uh, together that uh, have lived an extraordinary and unusual experience that most people don't get to have of getting up I'm on the stage and making people like laugh.
1: like being Jewish. Yeah. You know, you're sort of like you're you're in the society, but you're not of the society. <laughs> you know, we're sort of looking at it from from here
0: which is why so many Jewish people ended up in that and why people of minority end up and stand up is because they're pressed against the glass of somebody's civilization and they see it from a different perspective, which makes it a much funnier and more observant because you have to be to survive. Exactly. What's the format? What's the code? Got to figure them out. Right. That's why Thanks you say. Again, at the end. Oh, my pleasure, Simon. My pleasure. You take care. Uh, tr- 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 www.patreon.com. Uh, slash ntkr if you want to donate to uh, my podcast i'd truly and deeply appreciate it uh and not that kind of rabbi is my facebook page you can go there as well and say hello so take care of each other and be well and may we get through this uh and find a a way to to live from our true spiritual selves towards each other and to think of love not hate As, as corny as that sounds you know talk to people who are on their way out in palliative care, the only thing that has mattered to them is love. Who have they loved and who has loved them? And what have they done that has been worthy of being remembered for? So take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you soon on Not That Kind of Rabbi. Bye.